0: Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have you with us here for our Congregation at Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It is uh, Saturday, January 29th, 2022, and our catechesis today will be focused on uh, what we need to hear in order to be well-prepared for tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. I don't think... Well, we had the fourth Sunday back in 2019. Uh, it doesn't happen too often, all right? So we get that, uh, those readings as well. Let's see, anything else? No, so let's do that. Let's prepare. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, let's hear our memory verse one more time. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5, verse 16. All right, so this connects well with last Sunday's uh, sermon. Uh, maybe you remember it it's still at this point. Maybe you don't. <laughs> uh, but it is true that forgiveness of sins is what brings... Uh, uh, brings people together, can actually keep people together, and, and even heal um, that which is broken, right? So we confess that there at the beginning. Um, the second part is interesting in regards to prayer. That's probably connected well with what we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago when it came came to the collect of the day. Uh, effective, meaning uh, we ask for God to have uh, his way with us, to have an effect, right? So our petitions, um, we shouldn't shy away from ask actually asking God for a result, Right. Particular result. So, in the case of like when we're ill, you know, have mercy on us, give me healing, right? So, he loves to hear that. Uh, Fervent, meaning uh, from the heart, I guess is a way to say that, or um, with passion. Of a prayer of a righteous man, meaning a man or woman or child who walks in faith, avails much. It actually does what it says, it works. That's what James is having us confess there. All right, let's pray our psalm, Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ears, or give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life, and your righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, as we like to do on Saturday is uh, here a meditation And this is one of uh, a few sources I like to use to consider the psalms. This would be uh, Christ in the Psalms by Patrick Henry Reardon. In the tradition of the East, Psalm 142, Hebrew 143, is recited each morning as the final part of the Hexapsalmos, the six psalms, literally, near the beginning of Matins. Traditionally in the West, this psalm is prayed at Matins on Saturdays. Hey, look at that. In both cases, it is obviously thought to be a good psalm with which to begin the day. Thus, we pray, make me hear your mercy in the morning, for I put my hope in you. Where was that? In the morning, in the morning, in the morning. Oh, there it is. Verse 8. I remember we talked about this with psalms. A lot of times the main theme is right towards the middle. As we begin the day with, with this prayer, we are especially concerned with the governance of God's Holy Spirit. Quote, Your good spirit will lead me in the right land, we pray with assurance. This governance of the Holy Spirit is essential to who we are, because as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, Romans 8, verse 14. You'll hear that in a minute. Thus we pray in this psalm, make make known to me the way in which I should walk, for to you do I lift up my soul. In the Bible, walking, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is especially contrasted with walking according to the flesh a contrast elaborated in Galatians, quote, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. End quote. The apostle then goes on to provide contrasting lists of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Closing his contrast with this exhortation, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5, verses 16-25. through And we'll talk more about fruits of the Spirit in a moment as well. It is particularly to be observed here that St. Paul's treatment of the governance of the Holy Spirit is developed in in a context of struggle, of resistance to temptation. Being led by the Spirit of God is not an easy thing, for there are spiritual enemies at work to subvert our efforts. In the same respect, Psalm 142, this psalm, also speaks of this experience of conflict with enemies of the soul. Quote, For the enemy has afflicted my soul, he has humbled my life in the earth, he has placed me in the deep shadows like the dead of the ages. End quote. The Holy Spirit is distinct from our own human spirits. Indeed, the psalm speaks of the human spirit as quote, anxious and failing. To our frail human spirit, the Holy Spirit is a fountain of renewed hope, inasmuch as quote, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together, Romans eight verse sixteen and seventeen Such is the ongoing daily struggle and suffering with which this which psalm one forty two is concerned at the same time, the very foundation for all this ascetical struggle is grace, not law, such is certainly the teaching of Galatians 5 and Romans 8 that serves to throw proper light on Psalm 142, in which we pray, God, hear me in your righteousness, not our own. Then we go on to plead, enter not into judgment with your servant for no one living will be justified before you. Right? Those are key phrases here in the psalm. Again, hear me in your righteousness right? or in your steadfast love. Right? Enter not into judgment with your servant for no one living will be justified before you. Yeah. The Mother Church is careful to bring this truth to our minds in a special way during Lent, when our ascetical struggle is the toughest and most demanding, at least for traditions that actually uh, keep some Latin disciplines. All right. Uh, for some reason, Lutherans have decided reason, uh, as of late that such things are not helpful. Uh, very strange in the history of the Church, but there we go. Thus, she has us begin the season with a somber assessment of ourselves in the great canon of St. Andrew. And each Sunday we pray in the epiclesis of the liturgy of St. Basil, quote, Not through our own righteousness, for we have done no good deed upon earth, but because of your mercies and compassions. Nothing is further from the true religion of Christ than self-justification and, quote, feeling good about ourselves. The one thing obvious about the man of prayer in Psalm 142 is that he appears not to entertain a very positive self-image. Or as uh, Pastor Riley and I like to say, he has a low anthropology. This psalm also speaks of praying with arms raised in cruciform, which early Christian art and literature show to have been the believer's preferred posture of prayer. We talked about that before. I spread out my hands to you. So you see me do that in church. There's nothing wrong with you doing that as well. You can fold your hands or you can hold them out. One may also pray this psalm, in a purely Christological sense and reference, with particular attention to the Sabbath rest of Jesus in the grave, awaiting the Sunday resurrection. Almost every line takes on an enhanced poignancy in this context, which may have well inspired the West, particularly the rule of St. Benedict, to assign the psalm for Saturday mornings. I have to remember that. Psalm 143, for Holy Saturday. All right, there's a question about the name of the book. It's called Christ in the Psalms. All right, so there you are um let's see was there something else i would say oh i was going to say the psalm is actually particularly poignant as well um, in regards to um both paul's letter that we're going to hear in a bit but really jonah the old testament reading for tomorrow especially this line really caught my attention lest i be like those who go down to the pit right dragged down into the pit by leviathan the great beast right um which they rightly see as the as a sea monster uh, you know, King, Old King James translated it as a whale, <laughs> um, but it's Leviathan in Hebrew. It's the great sea monster. All right, let's see. I think that's good for now. So let's look at uh, the Old Testament for tomorrow, which is Jonah chapter 1. Oh, sorry, right, there we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the that great city, and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was on, was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God, perhaps your God will consider us, so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know For whose cause this trouble has come upon us? So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and from where did you come from? Or where did you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they told, or they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us Perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right, very good. So, um, let's see. There's a lot of things to talk about. You're going to see some striking similarities between this uh, reading from Jonah and our gospel reading for tomorrow, which is uh, Jesus stilling the storm, right? A couple of things, of course. Um, Jesus is asleep in the boat, right, when the storm is coming upon them. So, this is an interesting idea, but Jesus is the new Jonah, right? You've heard of him as the new Adam, and you've heard of him as the son of David, and you've heard of him as the prophet like uh, like Moses, uh, or Elijah who is to come, right? So Jesus is the culmination of all these great figures, um, of Aaron, you know, the, the high priest. He's also the culmination of Jonah, the story of Jonah. Um, but, but in a way of opposites, I suppose, right? Jonah is the reluctant servant. Jesus is the faithful servant. Um, Jonah is... Uh, the one fleeing God, Jesus embraces God's um, direction, his father's direction, even unto death, right? Jesus goes into the water. Jonah flees on water. Um, But we also see things that are similar, right? Jesus is asleep in the boat during the storm, so is Jonah um, somehow content um, to just sleep through the storm. So we have that in common. Of course, the greatest is that Jonah refers, um, or excuse me, Jesus refers to Jonah's uh, fate here of being swallowed by the Leviathan, three days and three nights as a type or a shadow or whatever language you want to use is a foreshadowing of his own three-day rest in the tomb. On the third day, he rose from the dead, right? As we confess. So uh, uh, very important reading, really. Uh, and Jonah being quite an old book, uh, we don't know a lot about it. Um, but um, Luther did write a couple prefaces, meaning like kind of summaries um, to translations of Jonah into German. Um, I want to look at the longer one, which is from 15. 26. All right, so we're in the midst of the Reformation, so you hear a lot of Reformation themes here. Um, Here's Luther's preface to the prophet Jonah. Since the prince of this world has sowed his tares everywhere, and Germany has become gutted with factions and spirits, through whom he not only seduces many, but also turns those who remain faithful to many unprofitable and vain pursuits, and thereby detracts them from Scripture and entices them into his disputes, and thus in the end cunningly catches them off the base of Scripture, and works their ruin, it is imperative that we recognize this sly and malicious attack, and not become too engrossed in his altercations, thus lust or excuse me, lest he lure us away from our defenses and our fortress, and surreptitiously defeat us. For, as Saint Paul declares, we are not ignorant of his designs. Second Corinthians two, verse eleven. And Saint Peter informs us that the devil does not take a holiday, but quote, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour first peter 5 verse 8 for some time i have entered the lists and fought against the spirits and factions now that others have joined the fray i have decided to take scripture in hand against the feast of our, against again to feast our hearts to strengthen to comfort and to arm them lest fatigue and lassitude subdue us in our daily struggle may god grant me grace that we by his word and the comfort of scripture may be refreshed and invigorated to fight with ever greater courage, right? Now, this is a preface to Luther's translation of the book of Jonah, and that book alone with his preface would have been printed and distributed, right? Not before it's collected into the library known as the scriptures, right? So just the the book or the letter, yeah, really the book of the prophet Jonah uh, would have been distributed. So you see here how Luther um, is setting up the reader and his own particular readers, those of Germany, Um, in their day, to hear this word um, as a word of encouragement, right? I am impelled to do this not only in view of the spirits and factions with whom the devil attacks us on the right side, but also because of the tyranny which he attacks us on the left side, the church side. (laughs) For the mad bishops and princes incited by their God rave and rage in dead earnest and plainly uh, propose to expel God and his anointed and to exterminate his word. They have already shed much innocent blood and are straining mightily to shed more. We have good reason to boast that Christendom is really coming into its own now because it's pressed so hard from both sides, both from the world and from the church. Because, institutional church, by the way, uh, because it is being so foully damned, blasphemed, defamed, and mocked by both parties as it perhaps has never been before. This leads me to believe that the devil is trying his utmost today. He senses that the day of judgment is looming, and is therefore determined in a final assault to employ his full power against Christ and his word. I can't help but think of um, um, the way that uh, the Pope um, of Rome has, as of late, decided to side in all sorts of political battles, himself become an agent of state, um, and advocating for um, big pharma, and for um, large government entities, and and banks, and uh, World Economic Forum and World Health Organization. It's like what what business does he have entertaining with these uh, agents of the state? But anyway, that's what he's done. To endure that, we again stand in need of consolation, so that we will not be daunted but can intrepidly scorn their threats and their insolence and wrath, convinced that they are thereby most speedily expediting us to heaven and at the same time promptly cutting off cutting their own throats, convinced that they will through the judgment of God be reduced to ashes in a short time. It is a matter of a moment, and we will be viewing each other in a different light. Then the devil and his mass henchmen, that is his princes and bishops, will find out who those are whom they are at present, revile, ex- exile, and kill. All right, so in the end, all will be revealed. <laughs> uh, they, these devils will see us for who we are, sons of God. I have therefore chosen to expound the holy prophet Jonah. For he is indeed well-suited for this situation and represents an excellent, outstanding, and comforting example of faith and a mighty and wonderful sign of God's goodness to all the world. All right? He's an example of faith. We think of Jonah as reluctant. Um, yes, reluctant, but converted, right? For who would not trust God with all his heart, proudly defy all the devils, the world, and all the fulfilling, or fulminating tyrants, and exult over God's kindness when he contemplates this story? And beholds how easily God's power and grace are able to preserve Jonah in the midst of the deep sea, even in the belly of the whale, thus saving him not only from one death, but from various deaths, deserted and forgotten as he is by all men and all creatures. Apparently, without effort, God sustains Jonah and brings him back merely by uttering a word. It is as if God were saying, quote, Behold, this is what I can do with one word. In view of this, what do you suppose I could do with my spirit and power? the human mind cannot conceive of the greatest, a greater work than this. For that reason, Christ himself prizes this story so highly, citing this Jonah above all other prophets as an illustration of his own death and resurrection. In Matthew 12 verse 39, he says, no sign shall be given this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah, right? Etc. Furthermore, Jonah is also an object of comfort for all who administer the word, right? I found him to be a great comfort. It teaches them not to despair of the fruit of the gospel, no matter how badly it appears to be devoid of fruit and profit. For here, a single man, Jonah, is dispatched to the mightiest king in the greatest kingdom of that day. When we compare the two, Jonah and this king, it impresses us as ridiculous and completely impossible that such a mighty king and such a powerful kingdom should be moved, converted, and frightened by the words of one weak individual, a stranger to boot, and by a message which no king himself, which the king himself did not even hear. He only heard, uh, only heard of it only as a report. In view of this, I am tempted to say that no pa- apostle or prophet, not even Christ himself, performed and accomplished with a single sermon the great things Jonah did. His conversion of the city of Nineveh with one sermon is surely a great, as great a miracle as his rescue from the belly of the whale, if not an even greater one. For just as the whale had to spew Jonah forth in obedience to the words of God, so Jonah by the word of God also tore the city of Nineveh from the belly and the jaws of the devil, that is, from sin and death. Would it not be reasonable to assume that such a king would rely on his great might and regard this one man a liar, a man whom even his fellow Hebrews disobeyed? Thus the apostles and, as we hear in Psalm 2, verse 2, even Christ himself were shamefully despised by kings and princes on earth. And there are princes, bishops, and lords today who are veritable beggars compared with the king of Nineveh, but who rely so vaingloriously on their tawdry beggary that they do not only despise the word of God, but also persecute it. All right, we've been talking about that the last few days, right, with Sennacherib. That is why Christ in Matthew 12, verse 41, cites the men of Nineveh against all unbelievers and scorners of his word, saying, quote, the men of Nineveh will arise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. End quote. And that is not at all unfair, for it will forever stand as a great miracle that the people of Nineveh were converted so quickly by a foreign preacher and by means of such simple words, without any attendant miraculous signs. And these Jews were not converted by their own Savior, who preached to them so often and lavished miracles on them. What a shame to hear that now, and what a shame it will be, be also to see this but it is of no avail. They are and remain hardened. Therefore, we let them go their way and we take comfort from the prophet and learn our lesson from him as God grants his grace. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? So Luther, I mean, it's really a sermon on um, the book of Jonah. It's not that long. You could read it, you know, just in a less than an hour today. Let's go read, not even, probably 20 minutes to read the, the book of Jonah. Um, so go, go check it out and uh, see if you hear those same words of comfort, right? That... Uh, that God can, with a single word, um, do great things. And he does it um, in, even in defiance of great nations and, and tyrants. Mm. All right. By the way, that was in um, Luther's lectures on Jonah, which is volume 19, volume 19 of American edition. Okay, so you could grab that if you wanted at church tomorrow. Our epistle tomorrow is from Romans chapter 18. We've already heard a little bit of this from uh, Father Reardon in reference to the psalm. We'll talk some more about it. For I consider that the sufferings, think Jonah, of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The conversion of the whole nation. See the connection? For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now, and not only that, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. All right. So we have all creation groaning with birth pangs. I I think uh, the connection, if there is one, um, is the way that you know this great Leviathan, this sea monster, comes rises up in the Galilee Sea to try to destroy Jesus right? So all creation now has been turned by Adam against Jesus, right? It's all laboring, but what will be born through it, through this suffering of the present age? A new kingdom, new heavens, new earth, um, Christ upon his throne, and we as his royal subjects. I did want to talk about um, a little bit of a doctrinal point here. Uh, We're going to talk about conversion, right? Because this really has to do quite well with um, what happens with Jonah, right? You know that was Jonah's struggle. As a preacher, you know how could that simple word that he would speak, um, to the to the nation, how would that one sermon um, bring about a change of heart, repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Um, our Augsburg Confession, no, not Augsburg Confession, excuse me, Formula of Concord, Article Two is the article on conversion. Um, this this is the result of a controversy within the church. So maybe may back up and get the controversy for you. Uh, I have to go a long way back. I'm in the. Uh, Solid declaration, which is pretty long. Here we go. A division about free will has arisen not only between the papists and us, but that's the Roman church, but also among some theologians of the Augsburg Confession themselves, right? And you're probably still arguing amongst yourselves and with your pastor about free will. What is it? Who has it? All right? right, uh, we're actually gonna do, I think we're gonna do a couple episodes on this for uh, the Banned Books podcast uh, that we'll record maybe next week, All right? Therefore we will first of all show exactly the points in controversy. Mankind's free will is found to and consi- can be considered in four unique conditions. All right? So this is an important distinction um, to understand what w- when we're talking about free will what will are we talking about? The question is now not is now not what condition of mankind was before the fall, all right? So what was Adam's will before the fall into sin or what he is able to do in outward things? which apply to the earthly life since the fall and before his conversion. Right, So we're not talking about Adam's will before the fall or what capacity his will has in doing earthly things, okay, outward things. Also, the question is not what sort of free will he will have in spiritual things after he's been regenerated and is controlled by God's Spirit or when he rises from the dead. Right, So we're not talking about the character of Adam or man's will after baptism and the regeneration and work of the Holy Spirit in us the chief question is only this and this alone. What is the intellect and will of the unregenerate person, before baptism, able to do in his conversion and regeneration from his own powers remaining after the fall? All right, so the question is, what can man do apart? What, what will can he do before God, regards to God, regards to faith, apart um, before his regeneration, that is the working of um, new life given in baptism? Alright? So, does he have the ability to seek God, to pursue God, to come to know God before he receives God's word and the working of the Holy Spirit? Right? That's that was the question. Is he able, when God's word is preached and God's grace is offered, to prepare himself for grace, accept the same and agree with it? Right. So hearing God's word and and the gift of forgiveness of sins, is he able to do anything in himself, right, to to receive it, to accept it, um, to agree with it? That's the question. This is the question about which there has been a controversy among some theologians in the churches of the Augsburg Confession for quite a number of years now, right? And then we're going to give, I'll give both sides here. On one side, or one side has held and taught that a person cannot from his own powers fulfill God's command or truly trust in God or fear and love him without the Holy Spirit's grace. Nevertheless, a person still has enough of his natural powers left before regeneration that he is able to prepare himself to a certain extent for grace and to agree with, though weakly. However, he cannot accomplish anything by these powers, but must give up the struggle if the Holy Spirit's grace is not added. Both the ancient and modern enthusiasts have taught that God converts people and leads them to the saving knowledge of Christ through his Spirit without any created means and instrument. In other words, without the outward preaching and hearing of God's word. Against both these parties, so those are both in error, but pure teachers of the Augsburg Confession have taught and argued the following, All right, So here's, here's our confession of the will um, in regards to unregenerate will, that is the will not regenerated by the Holy Spirit through baptism in the Word, right? Uh, their ability to believe. I, I know you're thinking, don't we have the third article to the Apostles' Creed in the small catechism where Luther taught us explicitly, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him? But the Holy Spirit has called me? Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway. Against both these parties, the pure teachers of the Oxford Confession have taught and argued the following. By the fall of our first parents, mankind was so corrupted that in divine things, having to do with our conversion and the salvation of our souls, we are by nature blind. Ephesians 4, verse 18. When God's word is preached, a person does not and cannot understand God's word, but regards it as foolishness. 1 Corinthians two verse fourteen. Also, he does not draw near to God on his own. He is and remains God's enemy until he is converted, becomes a believer, is endowed with faith, and is regenerated and renewed. Romans five verse ten. This happens by the Holy Spirit's power through the Word when it is preached and heard out of pure grace, without any cooperation of his own. Titus three verses four through seven. All right, now this, this is incredible. But we've said I've said this many a times. Faith. Trust in God is a miracle, right? Um, now, there and there is no means or capacity for you to prepare yourself for it. Now, God prepares you to receive his word, right? But it's not based on your will. It's based on his working, right? So maybe um, through the work of a, a Christian apologist, right? Um, somebody successfully, for your sake, defends the historicity of the scriptures, that they are authentic um, accounts of um, not only the characters of the Old Testament, but especially of Jesus' um, birth, ministry, death, and resurrection, that that is verified, and ascension, by the way, and that's verifiable um, through basic historical proof. All right, Now, does that make you believe it, that it's Jesus died for you for the forgiveness of sins? No, um, but it might help prepare you. But again, you didn't prepare yourself to believe um, but rather he is preparing you. God is preparing you and doing it through the agency of others. <clears throat> all right. So, um, and no matter, this is, a, of course, an important point for those who try to defend, I don't know, the historicity of the scripture um, or kind of the harmony of the scriptures and the way that all scripture testifies of Christ and um, that should be a cause for you to take them seriously um, or even just the fact that Jesus died and rose again, um, that that should give give you pause to think of him differently than maybe other Uh, rabbis or other kinds of teachers in this world, the Buddha and the the rest, Muhammad. None of that actually brings you to saving faith. Mm -hmm. All right. So again, everything is uh, the working of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of his word, the hearing of his word, the belief, right? The regeneration and the renewal, um, all of that is given without your cooperation. As a matter of fact, I actually, because against you, you are his enemy. He does it despite you. Uh, I like to joke about this, you know, the footsteps in the stand, he picks you up and carries you. Um, I think it would be funny, um, you know, just to have a picture where he's dragging you behind him. <laughs> he's dragging you into heaven. There's actually a lovely picture of this by uh, Edward Rojas, Rojas, who's an artist um, who uh, originally drew the covers of our bulletins uh, for his own congregation. But um, he's also the artist that drew or painted um, some of the larger scale works over at Emmanuel Adel. So, uh, the nativity scene in, in their chapel. Um, and then the scroll work that's out in their narthex. Yeah. That was his work. Um, lovely artist. And, uh, he has a picture of Jesus dragging a coffin out of the grave. It's just lovely. Right. And I remember what the text is. Oh, it's the, uh, it's the, uh, parable about the, uh, pearl of great price, right? The pearl that, w- that uh, uh, the, the coin that was buried in the field. Yeah, I think so. Anyway. All right. So now, um, this this article it's a long article on free will or human powers. Um, you can see how it really does intersection intersect with the, with what what is conversion. What does it mean to be converted, right? So um, under the article of conversion, we have to talk about like the character of the people who are regenerated. You know what's the difference between somebody who's baptized and not baptized, unregenerate and, and regenerate. So uh, our confessor says there is a great difference between baptized and unbaptized people according to the teaching of St. Paul in Galatians 3, verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That was our memory verse for last week, right? Our catechism for last week. And are truly made regenerate. They now have a freed will, F-R-E-E-D. As Christ says, they have been made free again, John 8, 36. Therefore, they they are able not only to hear the word, but also to agree with it and to accept it. Again, although in great weakness, right? Because we struggle against the flesh. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We receive in this life only the first fruits of the Spirit. Romans eight, verse twenty three. The new birth is not complete, but only begun in us. The combat and struggle of the flesh against the spirit remains even in the elect and truly regenerate people. For that you can see Galatians five seventeen. For a great difference can be seen among Christians. Not only is it true that one is weak and another strong in the Spirit, but each Christian also experiences differences in himself. At one time, he is joyful in Spirit, and then another fearful and alarmed. All right? So we're going to talk about this tomorrow, being fearful, being um, scared. Right? What are we afraid of? Right? Um, this happens to everyone, even those baptized and who have the gift of the Spirit. Um, at one time, he is intense in love, strong in faith and hope, and at another time, he is cold and weak. When the baptized act against their conscience, allowing sin to rule in them, they grieve the Holy Spirit in them and lose him. They do not need to be rebaptized, but they must be converted again, as has been said well enough before. Right. So um, Walther, CFW Walther, first president of the Missouri Synod, actually um, uh, wrote this. Right? He wrote that um, in this distinction of law and gospel, um, that every sermon is preaching conversion for conversion, that the regenerate would be renewed in their faith again. So this is Jesus in the in the boat tomorrow. He's going to say, Oh, you of little faith. All right? Why is he why is he rebuking them that their sin would be known to them, that they would repent and believe in him again? All right? Don't fear the wind and the waves, fear Jesus. All right? That means to trust in him. All right. So um I think that's sufficient on that for today. Uh so go if you don't have a book of Concord, go get one. Um they're inexpensive, they're like thirty dollars for the reader's edition, and uh, get get a copy. It's a treasure that you can use your whole life for devotion and meditation. That was Article 2 of the Sala Declaration of the Formula of Concord. All right. Let's confess the sacrament of baptism. What does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Where is this written? St. Paul writes in Romans chapter Six, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as he was, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too may live a new life. All right, let us pray. Heavenly father, through your word and spirit, you call us to daily contrition and repentance for our sin, that the old Adam in us might be drowned and die with all his sins and evil desires. Work true repentance in our hearts every day. Teach us to confess our sins and to flee to Christ for our life and salvation. By your word of forgiveness, raise up the new man of faith in us, that we might live before you in righteousness and purity forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, we give thanks to you for our baptism into Christ. Where we were buried with him through our baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. Grant us this new life, O Lord, that we might live faithfully and joyously as your children, and the blessed hope of everlasting life in Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I see Chris asked a, a question here in the song, in the uh, chat, and I didn't answer that. So before we continue our prayer, let me answer this. Aren't we God's vessels, right? We are the dwelling place of, of the Holy Spirit, right? So uh, in regards to the new life of the regenerate, we, we have Christ's Spirit dwelling in us. So that uh, Paul will say, "It is not I who do these things, but it is Christ who is in me who does them." All right. So, um, so what we have is we have the new man who's been joined to us in baptism. That's Jesus, and the old man, our flesh, and these two are at war with us. Are at war with one another in our own flesh. Jesus is constantly warring against our own flesh, right? Calling us to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You know, burdening our conscience that he may relieve it through his suffering and death. That that's happening in us. Um it's not like there's two of us. It's Christ and us. And we're at odds with Christ, right? But he doesn't abandon us or leave us. He dwells in us by faith and by the working of um of our baptism. And so he's out he's he's bringing about not only the mortification of our flesh that we'd be buried with him, but he's also raising us continually to new life, right? His new life. Right. So yes, Jesus dwells in you by his spirit through your baptism, right? And that's that's the warfare. It's between you and the new man, Christ. All right. A little bit, uh, a little bit uh, metaphysical there, but there you go. All right. So let's pray. I call out for this week. Almighty and everlasting God, mercifully look upon our infirmities and stretch forth the hand of your majesty to heal and defend us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. We pray this day for faithfulness to the end for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. Let's see. Yep. Yeah, today, let's pray um, in Thanksgiving with Doug, Jeremiah, and Brandon, who all celebrate their baptism. Pray for our households, Aaron, Ruth, Kevin and Kim, Eric, Jennifer, and Dolores. And pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Bav, Kelsey, Frank, Amanda, Dan, Timothy, and Janice, Colin, Ken, Norm, Sandy, Kathy, Jim, Jim, and Elaine, and Mike. Pray for our homebound, Willis, Mickey, and Paul. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the Church, especially our mission of the month, Kindred Heart Families. We pray in intercession for all pastors and all hearers of God's Word. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing our hymn one more time.
1: In you, that we may touch not, but with trust believe that what we ask we shall receive. Oh, in your name.
0: Right. It's so good to have you with us here today for our congregation of prayer, guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's word. Um, I hope that helps prepare you a little bit um, for how Jesus rebukes fear, that he rebukes fear as as its unbelief, its unbelief. So when we fear that, uh, which could hurt and harm our body, what are we confessing? Not not fear in a sense of like a fight or flight kind of thing, but where we fear it uh, mortally, Right. We're confessing our unbelief in Jesus, right? Um, so uh, you might apply this to those who continue to hide away for fear uh, of their neighbors and of um, viruses, and you know, become hypochondriacs that um, fear like every little cough and sniffle um, as not just a healthy fear, but actually, you know, that can hurt and harm our body, but actually, a lack of fear of God, right? That we don't trust in Him. Uh, actually to protect us to care for us to watch out for us um I think we can look back in hindsight and say a lot of our fear driven actions over the last couple of years um, were unfounded and that they were actually just we just didn't believe that God was going to take care of us and uh, I'm not immune to that either All right, especially towards the uh, beginning of 2020 all right so uh, uh learn from that don't forget um that don't f- uh, and and Continually um, investigate, critique um, how your own behaviors, your own attitudes, your own willingness to hear and to listen to those who were seeking uh, to drive you away from the church and from faith in Christ, right? And and be honest about that. Um, And don't forget it um, and let it serve then as a warning for you, uh, unless they try to do it again, okay? Uh, So I I don't want to forget to share that preface from uh, Luther on Jonah. I think I'm going to share that on social because uh, how beautiful was that Talking about when we're talking about being attacked and the word being attacked, the word that creates faith, um, how Jonah is a model example for us. All right. So with that, I bid you a uh, fond farewell. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. for divine service, so word, sacrament, and uh, teaching. All right. Uh, and we'll continue uh, looking at the Old Testament tomorrow in our Bible study, so join us for that. All right, Lord be with you all.